This is Reimagine Law, a podcast about legal education and careers to help students navigate their career choices. Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome back. My name is Kaylee, and I'm the newest member of the Reimagine Law team. I hosted an episode earlier this summer that took you behind the scenes of a law degree, a link to which can be found in the show notes. Today, we have another special episode. We sit down with Nigel from the Reimagine Law team. Nigel, would you like to say a quick hello? Hi, Kaylee. Great to be here. And our special guest today is Sadvi Dar, a reader in interdisciplinary management and organization studies, and who is my lecturer for corporate social responsibility. We're going to use CSR for short during this episode. Sadvi, would you like to introduce yourself? Pleasure to be here on this podcast with you both. Thank you for the invitation. Sadvi has generously given us some of her time to discuss what CSR is and what we can do as students and graduates starting our career. Before we begin, I wanted to provide a definition of CSR. Corporate social responsibility at the surface refers to business strategies employed by corporations that consider the well-being not just of the corporation, but also of people and our communities, as well as our natural environment. So with that dictionary definition in mind, I'd like to ask Sadvi, as she teaches CSR, um, how would you define CSR? Mm, Thank you. Well, corporate social responsibility is a slippery term in itself. Um, because um, whilst there are defined units and personnel and even consultants who give advice to corporations and businesses on what CSR is, essentially it defies definition because it is not a legal term per se, uh, though it appears sometimes in um, acts and practices of corporate reporting, Um, nor is it something that is uh, defined in some sort of generic or umbrella term that has some sort of connectivity over regions or some shared meaning across different political contexts and business contexts. So CSR, if you like, is an idea that emerges from what I see is a conflict, a historic conflict, between corporate activity and state governance, right? And where the state or the government, if you like, is there to set boundaries and the terms of engagement for the market and business, the corporation is an entity that is vast, it has a long history, it can succeed uh, for years and years and years, and its essential idea is to grow and to grow profits for its shareholders That is its legal obligation. Now, when we're talking about social responsibility in terms of the corporation, we can see how each corporation may very well define how it perceives its responsibility to society, to the environment, to things that go beyond financial reporting and accounting, beyond what they need to report to their shareholders as profits, as something that they're doing from the good of their own Uh, ethical orientation. So CSR, I'm afraid, is a slippery term and there's no really set definition, but we can talk a little bit about how theorists and corporations have tried to come up with a comprehensive definition. But let's keep in mind that this is not a universal definition or a legal term that we can use uh, with any kind of concrete certainty. I think also being one of your students and the first day coming into the CSR module, you kicking us off with that definition really 
opened my eyes to the possibilities of CSR because it's marketed as this very narrow idea of doing the moral thing or the ethical thing. And so when you presented it as a conflict, um, it was just it was it very interesting and it's what got me really excited about the topic. Um, but the next question, an even more tricky question, why is it becoming, why is CSR becoming a board level agenda issue across businesses, including the legal sector? Right, that's a great question. Um, so if we think about um, the history of sustainability, perhaps as a concept, um, it has, I think, some very important connections to CSR. Um, let's think a little bit about climate change, for example, and let's think a little bit about environmental activism and how this links to actually a very long history. Um, I would say actually from the period of 50s and 60s where decolonization was occurring and the issue of land rights was coming up in these post-colonial regions. And what you have really there is um, business and the market being propositioned as the way to develop economies. And you have folks on the ground who have been colonized by imperial masters now having to engage with struggles with business and corporations, okay? and. Um, what that kind of sets out then is um, a kind of, if you like, a um, uh, the the sort of need for the business or the corporation to engage actively with things that are to do with society, with community, uh, with the environment in terms of deforestation and in terms of water rights. Uh, so all of these aspects, which had some kind of governance, albeit one that was imperial and colonial and had all sorts of inequalities and violence attributed to it, now you see the corporation being given free reign, right, by both the post-colony and the former colonizer to take up this space. And so I think why it's become more of an issue now, speeding up, 50, 60 years to the future, is that the corporation has expanded um, through a period of global liberalization. So markets opening up. Yes, we saw this throughout the 90s, actually. There was a vast kind of um, acceleration of what we call mergers and acquisitions, where corporations uh, were essentially um, being asked by governments very instrumentally uh, to uh, boost the economy and economic activity. And this was considered to be a way, again, to enhance the development um, of countries and peoples around the world. So the reason I think it's become such a buzzword is partly because corporations have been given this role to enter spheres which were largely in the hands of government and state decision-making. And you have a change, if you like, in global governance of these matters, where businesses become far more visible and far more vocal in determining um, the nature of society and the nature of development itself. And so that's why I think corporate boardrooms and the law sector is 
in a way needing to gain clarity on the very terms of engagement on how social responsibility is articulated and where are the risks associated with going into these realms which were once very much to do with local community and local governance and government structure. Thank you so much, Safi. Um, I think when you gave us the history of that, it all sort of makes sense. And thank you so much for that. I just I wanted to mention that while I was doing applications for um, certain firms, it was surprising how much they ask about what we know about their CSR initiatives as well. Um, and so I think that's where me asking you that question stemmed from because it it's become very prevalent. And I know from a couple years ago, I was speaking to students and they said, you know, they never had to research the CSR initiatives that firms were doing before applying. Um, and so, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. I think there's definitely a, um... Um, it's interesting, actually, because a few years back, it was corporations that were caught on the back foot, because what they had was during the kind of, I would say around 20 years ago, really, a trend where at the interview stage, it was interviewees, applicants who were asking them in the interview room, what is your CSR strategy? What are you doing about sustainability? Um, and so what I think you've got now is... Um, the corporation now taking the lead in actually being present and signaling their um, their efforts and their interests in corporate social responsibility. Um, and it's an interesting switch that I've seen over the last 30 years, actually, or so, where we've gone from applicants pushing corporations to to very explicitly address their concerns to corporations articulating this um, as almost a reputational uh, issue uh, where they're signaling to applicants that this is an interesting point that they want to um, engage with. So, sadly, I think that's really, I think that's really interesting. And I, I love the point you made about, you know, you talked about shareholders and stakeholders earlier on. And I think what's really interesting also, Kaylee, is, is the way that this is all, I think you're right. So the organisations, the business, you, you know, your question was, why is this becoming a board level agenda? I think organizations now, the legal sector included, is thinking in a much more three-dimensional way about who are our stakeholders, who 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 benefits from our success. And I think that whole, you know, lots of the big meetings at Davos over the last few years have, you know, have been about who are the stakeholders, you know, who matter to us as organizations or in, in terms of the commercial, um, in terms of in, in business. And I think this takes you to the whole thought of even employees as stakeholders here, going back to the interview process that you just mentioned there. Um, you know, we've, we've heard a lot, haven't we, um, Sabine and Kayleigh, last years about more purpose-led organisations. And so that people are saying, and you know, with my HR and learning and development background, of people thinking, how can we actually attract talent into the organisation? And we are only going to attract talent and retain talent if we actually have very much this purpose-led organization and it's not just in the messaging as you've said you know this becomes as you said that interesting shift of where that moves from government to actually to business in terms of the you know the almost the the guardianship or at least in some level the engagement of needing to say okay so so how how, how does this work how how does corporate social responsibility need to look in our in our sector um and it's very interesting of course that now we have you know when clients of law firms are selecting their panel 
panels of law firms, for example, some of the questions they're asking in panels are saying, well, you know, what do you contribute? Or And also, from a commercial point of view and an almost competitive advantage point of view, sadly, you have this interesting thing where they've realised, and this is more a psychological thing, that you connect with people on a much deeper level if you connect at a values level rather than just at a transactional level of, okay, I'm doing a job for Kaylee or Kaylee's doing a job for me. You know, so rather than that, if we actually can share with each other, partner with each other on projects that we both care about passionately, then I think that becomes a really quite, that becomes very engaging. It drives levels of engagement in your in your employees as well. And also you're delivering stuff that's important in your local community to come back to that, you know, very important word of community. I think business having this sense of place and also universities even having a sense of place where actually you're commu- you're contributing to the local area around you and the communities you have there. I think it's really, really important. And I think hopping off of what both Sadvi and Nigel said um, about this idea of contribution and I guess corporations seeing employees and students come to them asking for, you know, what what are you guys doing about all of these issues? and then them incorporating it into their marketing strategy. I think um, obviously there are gonna be issues with that, but um, yeah, I I just think change is really fascinating and um, it moves us right onto the last question. How do you think us as students and graduates, because that's our audience, that's who our audience is, how do you think we could ensure the places we work at have strong CSR foundations and what can we bring to the organization to support this agenda, especially now when there's so much noise around it and, you know, the rise of greenwashing and um, firms seeing it more as a marketing strategy? What can we do to make sure that it is on the agenda and it's um, something that firms and corporations are actually willing to invest in and not just use as a marketing strategy? That's another great question, um, Kaylee. Um, I want to answer it in a kind of yes, no way. <laughs> so by that, I mean, yes, you are an internal stakeholder and you have an important voice. You come into this world with a completely different sense of the world. You've grown up with the digital. You've grown up with this huge transition embedded in the way that you interact with reality, with notions of truth, but also with politics. So your um, fundamental orientation is one that is far more complex, I would say in some ways, than who the hirers because of their age and their seniority are likely going to have. And so what I think you bring is a sense of um, the importance and the care that we need to take with information um, and also the, the way that information can mark out the parameters of a community in conversation with each other in dialogue with each other. And I think um, businesses and corporations indeed are aware of that, they are savvy of that, and that's why they're all over social media um, and working very hard with influencers to gain traction in this very competitive market environment. At the same time, as an employee, what we're seeing are um, a uh, 
a need to involve the community of employees through a whole array of initiatives, uh, town halls, um, talent management programs, where it is not just the corporation talking back or talking down to employees, but a real need to, and I think acknowledgement of the of what co-creation can bring about and how it can is necessary to shift and push corporations into a much more outward facing um, 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 business. But here's the no. <laughs> so the no is that the corporation also, I think, develops an identity, a corporate citizen, if you like, which in some ways may sound empowering, but it can shut down talk. It can actually lead to an expectation around what is normal, and good behavior in a corporation and what is deemed wrong or damaging to that person's career even. So what I think um, my advice for no is to imagine yourself, but not only imagine yourself, but see yourself as someone beyond the corporation, as a political actor, as a community member, and as someone who can very, um, um, uh, I think with some craft and some intention, uh, build movements outside corporations, which can then become that external stakeholder voice that pushes for that change, that radical shift. And I don't think we can undermine the importance of that external stakeholder in pushing CSR's agenda towards more progressive, more radical ends. Um, that's certainly been something that we've seen um, at COP26, um, and that's certainly something that we are seeing now in the midst of COVID with the great resignation, right? The great attrition, huge numbers of employees from all different kinds of pay scales and backgrounds uh, saying that, no, it is not enough what I'm getting out of this job. We need something more. We are willing to give up and resign to have something more meaningful in our lives. And I think that's a tension that is going to play out in the next five to six years in very interesting ways. But I would say that as, um, as, as someone who is part of the world, as part of a community of business people, to think of yourself not only as a corporate citizen, but who you are outside of that and the importance of being outside of that as well. Um, and sadly, that's, that's a great point. Kaylee, I was just going to chip in a, th a thought there. That reminds me so much of some conversations we used to have in one of the firms I, I, I was in, sadly, where we said, how can we almost, even though we are in a physical building, how can we almost imagine that they, they almost have permeable walls? So actually, there's there's no difference between us and the outside and what goes on around us of who walks past this building and the, whether that's the type of people, whether from the socioeconomic type of view or the you know the different um, ethnicities in our community nearby, or the different. In, you know, think of difference in all the different ways we can. But it's it's your point there. Almost, how can we almost be part of the organisation? And your point of identity is a great one. You know, there you are sitting in your organisation, being told that okay, the competences for you to develop in this organisation are this, 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 and this. But actually, how does that actually fit with an identity you want to have, where you actually are, are contributing to the to the to the world outside? Uh, as well and I think I think that's a that's a really interesting question and as you say it's not easy to do either because you know there's the risk of you know often why that, that's why it's a great exercise often when people used to join the firms I was in we used to do an exercise where 
after a few months of them being in, we used to go and speak to them, not only to see how successful, you know, all that onboarding and just make sure they were okay and everything and getting in, getting on with stuff and make sure they were navigating around the organization, but actually to ask them, and by the way, what have you noticed? What do you think that actually we should be doing slightly differently? Because the risk is that in a year's time, you'll forget some of that stuff because you will actually have taken on this identity of, you know, of being in this inside this organization. So I think that, that's a great point, Sadhvi. How can we have this almost maintain this external perspective as well as having, as you say, wherever you're located as well? That That becomes difficult, I think, as well, because of the digital in the way that young folks are always curating selves online yeah. and in some way it's um um i think sort of curating the self vis-a-vis living in community uh mm. is, is kind of a tension i think which is important to acknowledge and also to say that you can have multiple selves you can absolutely be a good citizen and do what you need to do to get the job done and at the same time you can have things going on in your life and communities that you're connected to who are imagining business activity and imagining social responsibility outside the business norms, because that surely is where all of that blue sky thinking comes from. Yeah, and it, and it links to almost letting people play to their strengths as well. And actually, you know, I know there is that phrase which sounds a bit jargony, bring your whole self to work. And how can we create an environment where we allow people? But how can we let people engage while they're in there, all the hours we spend in the organisations that we work for? How can we allow them to actually, you know, what gives you energy? I think it's a great question to almost ask people. Often I used to ask that when I was coaching people. What gives you energy? What do you actually enjoy? What, what helps you, you know, leave home in the morning with a spring in your step so to speak and, and all of that and how can we how can we encourage that type of activity how can we make space for people to, to do that kind of stuff i think is is a really good way and going back to the purpose of the organizations you know it is about allowing them to connect as you say with all their different parts of their identity so that's a lovely way of phrasing it yeah i, I really like that um that sort of uh, the, asking the right questions isn't it um, and asking them to yourself, but also I think, you know, with a mentor or with someone who is there with um, some more experience in the sector yeah. is always helpful because, yeah, um, yeah it, it, they're, you know, think of these folks as living archives, if you like, of all the things Absolutely. that have gone on, you know, all the things that have gone wrong have gone right. Um, yeah. And to to learn from that um, yeah. is, is really important. Also, Sadly, something else you said a few minutes ago really struck a chord. So when I was in your one organisation, we did an exercise which is called reverse mentoring, where we got the juniors to mentor the seniors. And what you said a few minutes ago really struck me that Kayleigh and the generation coming through, they have different perspectives that boy could the likes of me learn from, you know, and so, you know, just because you have a different, you know, you, they have a different worldview. They've grown up in a different way, than certainly in the way I, you know, I grew up when or we all grew up. So. How can we actually enable that? So it just struck me that almost that's another reason for this topic of, you know, CSR and corporate social responsibility. Another great reason for helping people bridge generations and actually doing some of that reverse mentoring as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think there's something incredibly important when we start challenging those sort of hierarchies where we think, well, just because you're senior, you're you're definitely know what you're doing yeah, yeah. <laughs> knowledge knowledge doesn't have to come in one direction in an organization i think it's very very important that organizations realize that of 
um, that they do. And something I just wanted to add, because um, Sabi mentioned um, growing up in the age of media, I think especially since the pandemic started, just the online conversations and the amount of people my age who have sort of started activists' accounts and all of these ama this amazing work that everyone's doing online has been really incredible. And I think um, it all just sort of feeds in and I hope that it changes the way corporations react and so on and so forth. And um, the idea of having that digital identity online, when you mentioned it earlier, just kind of bridged that all together for me. Your lecture, I think, is very inspiring to people, my age, especially coming off of the Black Lives Matter 2020 protests and the companies that came out to make pledges and seeing just the discourse of people my age and the backlash online that companies received because they didn't meet the expectation because obviously the trend died down. Um, it was your module, I think, brought a lot of hope because I think all, 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 all of these CSR issues seem very big. And as students and graduates, I think coming into these spaces, we know sort of the moral compass and our moral compass and um, the idea that you gave as well of the different identities that you can have, uh, I think really will help a lot of people because yeah, I think it's a tricky time to be working through now. <laughs> Before you go, I just wanted to mention to our listeners uh, Water Bear, which is a new and free streaming service set up by activist and filmmaker Ellen Winbeth, who is the creator of My Octopus Teacher on Netflix. And um, the platform is actually funded by Prince Harry. So the platform has a selection of docu documentaries and docu-series with short, snappy episodes for full educational impact as well as an action hub where you can directly donate and sign petitions to take action on these different causes. Uh, a link can be found down below. Thank you, Sabi, so much for bringing your perspective into this. We really appreciate you taking the time to come on and get below the surface of CSR, especially because it is a buzzword nowadays and there is a lot of information surrounding it and some false information, some true information. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And thank you, Nigel, as well, for bringing the reimagined law perspective for the law students and graduates listening. I know this episode was short and CSR is a very large nitty gritty topic, but I think both of your perspectives together just, I think, provided an introduction. So I really encourage any listeners to learn more for yourselves because there's a lot uh, to the topic. It's been a real pleasure and a pleasure, Sadhvi, to hear, you know, your fascinating work and, and then views. So thank you very much, Sadhvi, from me as well. And I'd, I'd just like to give thanks to you guys. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's always so important to feel grounded in terms of how teaching can kind of foster these sorts of dialogues and conversations among students. Um, and Kaylee, it was just always a pleasure uh, having you in class. Um, and thank you again, Nigel, for the invite. Pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. Don't forget to subscribe to Reimagine Law wherever you listen to your podcasts and check out our website for additional resources. Sadvi's information will also be left in the show notes if you want to find her. It's been really inspiring. Thank you. Thank you.